This episode of Truth's Table is brought to you by our NAACP Image Award-nominated book, Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation. Get it where all books are sold. Sisters, how y'all feel? Brothers, y'all all right? If this is your first time at Truth's Table, welcome to the table. And if you've been sitting at the table with us all these years, we are so grateful that you have been listening to us through these years, and we are inviting you to partner with us and support our work at patreon.com slash truthstable. Now pull up a chair and have a seat at the table with us. Hey y'all, welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. And I'm Christine. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table. See, how you doing, girl? I'm doing well. Look, listen, I could hear you almost not get through that introduction because you were already uh, chuckling because it, it has been uh, an adventure. Yes. Getting to the moment of this recording, and here we are. <laughs> the devil don't want us to do this recording. Listen, listen we this have is, been through this episode. If, if I'm going to go into the bag of my of my my black theology root bag, then that means that this is going to be an amazing <laughs> episode because the enemy did not want us to record <laughs> this episode. He released didn't those technology demons. That means that this it. is going to be a great episode. Didn't want didn't want it. Old Slewfoot got even had us. Mm-hmm. Oh, not Slewfoot. Not old Slewfoot. All the big mm-hmm. episode on all the many names of the devil. We could do an That's entire true, actually. episode. Yeah. And we probably need to dust that off because the devil is real. Okay. Yes. Listen. It's, and uh, hold on, uh-huh. you're right. I'm sorry. I'm all living the podcast. I'm, and I'm, is. I'm, 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 and I'm, is. See, you first of all, you, you can hear you can hear our theological cousin in the background that's interjecting right. his voice. See, when we bring the men to the show, you know that's what they do. That's what they do. <laughs> that's what y'all do. Y'all be taking y'all 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 be bogarting. But you know what? You talking right? You said, "Holy, this is right." So I'm not gonna regulate. Amen. I ain't gonna Amen. regulate. So, Amen. <laughs> but y'all, we well, as you already know, we do have a man at the table <laughs> because we have our final behind the book episode for the season and we are so happy to bring our cousin our play cousin our brother Esau McCulley to the table to talk about his new book a whole memoir y'all stay writing he do entitled how far (laughs) to the promised land okay one black family story of hope and survival in the American South welcome to the table cousin Esau how you doing my brother Thank, thank you so much for having me and I said this I think every single time I've been on a podcast there are a few things that I look forward to more than speaking with you all that, you know, whenever someone asks me, who do you want, who do you want to interview you? The first name on the list is always true table. Oh. So I don't come I don't mess with y'all when y'all just out doing your thing. I'll let y'all cook. I'll let y'all have y'all moment. But I said, if I write a whole book, can I get 30, 45 minutes? That's what I say. If I write a whole book now, can I come to the table? I don't, I don't just pull up with nothing to offer. Come on now. Come I pull up now. with a book now. The last time I was here was with Josie Johnson reading my black. I pull up with Listen, content. Now. You do. You do <laughs> not than come that, I, just you, I, I just I sit in the in the in, in the antechamber. <laughs> the antechamber. You know how the ushers the ushers be they they have you at the back and say anytime you to come sit down. Here. Listen in the overflow. Yep. Praying section. right now and they yes. will let you in when the, when the moment hits. That's right. right. That's right. This no, you got some. Here. You got some good home home training. You know which we're gonna learn much more about. Absolutely. Um, but before we even launch into that, see, can you tell them a little bit more about our cousin? Because you know what it is. See, when you get your your family at the table, you know you don't always be putting respect. 
on their name the way you ought Listen. to. So tell the people who Esau is. <laughs> uh, uh, about, about the good doctor here. Yes. Dr. McCauley <laughs> is an associate professor of New Testament at Wheaton College and theologian in residence at Progressive Baptist Church, a historically Black congregation in Chicago. He is the author of the award-winning book, Reading While Black, and the children's book, Josie Johnson's Hair and the Holy Spirit. He is a contributing opinion writer for the New York Times, and his work has also appeared in The Atlantic, The Washington Post, and Christianity Today, because he is out here doing all the things, and he is also a godly man, a great yes. friend, a wonderful teacher, um, and we are just so grateful to know you and to present you again to the Truth Table audience. Yes. Th thank you again for having me. And thank you for that introduction. It means a lot to me. Yes. No, no, no. We 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 are grateful for you, Esau. And so glad to have you at the table. You know, I, I had the honor, you did me the honor of um, being an endorser of your book, How Far to the Promised Land. And, you know, when I read it and I was like, wow, I was like, Esau been through. You know, like, you know, what, Kimini, you're the only, you're one of, I think, two people who endorse Reading While Black and How Far to the Promised Land. Oh come on! Invite, Fun I Black History Fact. Yeah, I, oh. I invited I invited you back. Oh, and, look so, at um, and I have read these books, even though I've not been asked to be an endorser. <laughs> oh, <Lord>. <laughs> <laughs> look at this! How he calls the drama. No, I didn't do that, Esau. No worries. I'm not. I'm not a bitter Betty. It's okay. I, I, I felt, I just, I'll take my free book. I felt like I could. Way. I felt like I couldn't get the whole table. Like I felt like if I just keep it's okay. coming to y'all, it's okay, Isa. It's it's okay. I, I want to have you endorse the next one. Though. I got your platform. That's I, okay. I, I got no. I got a whole other book that's not even out yet. That's already written, so you can endorse. Oh that my book. word! What's happening? Listen, teaches your ways, okay? Teaches your ways, but but you but know, Isa will write a book tonight just to have someone in, just to have me endorse. So I so I, I appreciate that. I was joking. It's all good, definitely. Oh, okay. You really will. You really will. No, but Isa, when I did when I read the book you know i took the time now when i endorse i'll be reading the that, books well that's yeah. a, that's a whole episode carry on so I, I, I do read the book and i read the book and i was like man i was like so i've been through you know and i am wondering about uh, what drove you uh to yeah. write a memoir yeah. about your life you know you did not skim mm. the surface you yeah. really from my vantage point you really yeah. opened up your life. Can you talk yeah. to us about uh, what it took, why you wrote the memoir and what it took for you to um, to access that that um, place of vulnerability? Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest and give you some of your flowers and say that you influenced some of the writing of this book. Mm. That when I read part of Truth's Tables book mm. and some of the things that you shared and the way that it impacted me, Mm. That gave me courage to be more honest. So mm. I don't want to let I don't want to let you know that like mm. your your footprint, your fingerprints mm. are mm. in the book. Mm. Now, so I don't. I'm serious. I, mm. I, I was like, wow. If a Kimberly can be honest, I could be honest. Mm. Um, and so like that that, that 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 was part of it. But I want to talk about like the writing of the book. In some ways, it's true, a Kimberly. Like I've been writing this book almost my whole life, mm. and in particular, I've been writing it since 2017. Um, wow. The and I didn't know it. I didn't know that I was doing. It's like God would do so much stuff in your life that you won't recognize. I'm going to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. So the dedication to reading while black, reading yeah. while black is dedicated to my father. Mm. And the dedication for reading while black says, um, whatever else I am, I will always remain your son. Mm -mm -mm. 
And for anyone who's who who who's now going to read this book, they're going to understand how complicated that was. But at the time, nobody knew. They just thought, "Isn't this sweet that he dedicated this book to his father?" But I started writing the reading while black in 2017 after my father died, and I wrote okay. that dedication at that kind of come to grips with who he was. Now, my father um, was not a part of our life growing up. He was um, in and out of our life and in and out of jail. He dealt with um, drug addiction, and when he was home. He was abusive. And so most of my childhood, he was gone. And his absence had a tremendous economic, spiritual, yes. psychological yes. impact on our family. But in 2017, I get a phone call in the middle of the night that he had died in a single car accident. He was a mm. truck driver, mm. a single car accident. Yes. His truck, he was driving down the road and it just fell off the side. of like he, he veered off, went from one overpass to the other and he died. To this day, we don't know how he died or what caused him to do that. Right, right. But my um, I, I, I pretty quickly by the next morning, I um, I was talking to my my mom and my sisters and my brothers, mm -hmm. and they had asked me to do the eulogy. Mm. And my sister said, you know, I want Daniel. That's what they call me. I want Daniel to do the eulogy because I know that he will tell the truth. But I didn't really know my father like that. This is true. Our entire childhood, I don't think we had one substantial conversation that I can remember, like right. meaningful conversation about who he was. And so that led to me sitting down with my sisters, my brothers, my mom, um, his his extended family, just to learn about who he was. Because when you're a pastor and you do a eulogy, at least I'm from the tradition that you can't lie in the eulogy. Mm. I'm, from, I'm from the tradition mm. that you can't mm. just sugarcoat the eulogy because mm. the people in the church, they was there. They saw it. They know. Mm -hmm. They know. And But if I'm a pastor, it's not just me processing trauma. I got to wrap this man's story up in the wider purposes of God. What was God up to in this life, even if it wasn't perfect? That's what a eulogy is. The eulogy okay. of difficult people. And so in the context of um, writing that story, I began to learn about my family's history. Mm -hmm. I learned about his dad. And one of the last things that his father told him was that he wasn't any good. And he wasn't going to be anything. And so my father was raised by a man who also had abandoned his family. And so I began to learn about this long history of trauma. And that put my father in the context. But more than that, it was a story about the South. You know, all of this stuff happened. Um, it became a multi-generational research. Because once I get in the academic and we couldn't help but chase it to the end, it became this multi-generational saga of all of these characters in my mm -hmm. family that I only knew parts of. Yeah. And I said, this isn't just a story of a family. This is the story of Black life in the South. Because when you're poor and you're Black, you are mm. not exempt from American history. No. What I mean by that, if you have enough money, you can insulate yourself from trauma. You can hide in your little suburbs or whatever. Absolutely. But if you're Black and you are undereducated, Jim Crow is in your backyard. It maps onto you. It yeah. maps onto to your you. family. And, mm -hmm. and it became a story about me making sense of my family and, by, and, and, and in that sense, making sense of America. And all of that was caught up in the writing of this eulogy, this attempt to find something beautiful in the life of a broken person. And for me, and finding forgiveness. And for me, that process of um, finding that that sense of healing and forgiveness and grace changed who I was. And it changed how I saw people. And it changed how I saw the world. And I felt crazy enough to believe that telling that story might help other people too. And one of the other things, forgive me for making this such a long answer, but I felt like when I wrote Reading While Black, and a lot of people liked it, and a lot of people um, were, were, were positively impacted by it, 
And in my life, there's a lot of me talking about how Christianity, what Jesus means to me. And people might get this perception that I'm a Christian because he works for me. You know what I mean? Because I have a popular book, because, you know, I'm a professor and, and like life is easy. And so people say, you know, it's good for you. But we live in the context of church hurt and church trauma and yeah. like family mm -hmm. trauma. And I wanted, I really wanted to be able to say, this might seem crazy. When I say to you that God is good, I mean it with, with this context in the background. So there's no confusion that this is some kind of like easy believe, you know, you, you're a Christian because of this, that, and the other. I was like, no, no, no. I've been through it. And it's on the other side of this narrative that I could genuinely say God is good. So I wanted, I wanted to kind of put my public faith that everybody knew about after 2017, before 2017. And that was important to me. Yeah. And you did that magnificently. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a deeply intimate book. One of the things that I that I like about it is the vantage point where you situate yourself culturally. Um and that the American South is a character in this story. And as someone who had, I'm married to a Southerner, my roots are via Mississippi and North Carolina, and but I've been all around this country and there is this um, vitriol, this disgust, this disdain, yeah. this disrespect for the South, and even amongst yeah. Black people for yeah. the for the Black Southern tradition. And yeah. I, I found that to be an unnamed character yeah. in the narrative is the is the South. It's kind of like a shout out to, to Outcast a bit. Yeah. But that the South is a character here. Why was it important for you to even put that in the title and make that so important? My mind is a character, but I don't know how you yeah. thought about it. See, you 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 caught up on it. That's why I'm glad that you interviewed me. Because the first chapter in Reading My Black is the South Got Something to Say. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> the, the the title of the South, the word the, the South is a character in, in How Far to the Promised Land. Mm -hmm. I think it's because you know, you, you, I think that because the South is often cold for Black, right. in the same way that people talk about Chicago and the violence in Chicago, they're really talking about violent Black people. When they talk about the backwards South, they often mean backwards Black people when they're yeah. talking about us. And I feel like we're disrespected and tossed aside people. And I wanted, I wanted, in, in my whole life, I felt like we have been struggling to be seen and to be heard and to be recognized as having a culture mm -hmm. that is worthy of dignity and respect. That's right. And so one of the things that happens is that when you don't have money and you don't have resources, other people tell your story. Other people define you. This happens a lot just around Black culture in general. We're described and referred to, but we rarely have the microphone. And I, and, and I said, you know, there's not a lot of people who come from my neighborhood who get to write a book like this. And I said, if I'm going to have the opportunity to write this book, it's not going to be with me as the star of the book, the hero or the protagonist. It's going to be, you need to see the South. You need to see the Black South. And the way in which we might not have the same money, we might not have the same acclaim, we might not reach the same heights of economic, just economic success, precisely because of anti-Black racism. But the dignity of those lives matter. And so, yeah, the South as an opponent that stands in the way of Black people is a palpable character. Um, and yeah, it, 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 it is an antagonist in, in the story. 
Absolutely. And that, that absolutely comes through, you know, um, in the book and which we are going to hear more about after this commercial break. So don't go nowhere. Actually, while you're gone, make sure you order and buy how far <laughs> to the promised land. Do your commercial break. Yes, we'll yes. be right back. <laughs> yeah. Our NAACP Image Award nominated book, Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love and Liberation, is making waves and shifting culture. I closed this book feeling like I had just partaken in a multi-course meal filled with grace and the courage to carry on. And I believe you'll finish this book feeling the same way. Morgan Harper Nichols, artist and poet. Buy Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love and Liberation at our website or wherever books are sold. And we are back here at the table with our brother in play closet, Esau McCulley, author of How Far to the Promised Land. You know, um, Esau, we know that our stories do not belong to ourselves solely. <laughs> and so I um, I was I was struck, you know, by uh, your vulnerability and even um, uh, the candid nature in which you spoke about uh, you know, just your upbringing with your mother, the struggles yeah. that she went through. Um, and so I want to know how your mama doing. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I just, and I just seen the power of God, you know, yeah. in her own life. I thought, and yeah. I don't want to give the book away, but there was something very powerful uh, yeah. that happened in her life where God really showed up mightily, you know, thinking yeah. about her and then juxtaposing that with um, the chapter called, uh, when fools fall in love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm curious about what it means to um, to recognize that our stories are not our own and that we are connected to other people because what yeah. you did um, in, particularly in Fools Fall in Love is that you were very candid, you know, yeah. about, you know, uh, the fact that you uh, did not marry a black woman and that yeah. you were married to a white woman. And you had to, you know, wrestle yeah. with that. And I would love for you to, you know, talk about, you know what yeah, it meant I'll, for you I'll, to I'll, do that. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll ask. I'll answer the first one and the, and the second one. My mother is, in some sense, if there's a hero in the book. She's the hero. Mm -hmm. Um. So if you're looking for someone to emulate, you should emulate her. Mm. And I spoke with her just so you know. I didn't just put my mama's business in the street. So oh, yeah. like I, I had a conversation with mom. Right, you realize like you know, hello. is it okay if I tell the story? And cool. a lot of the stuff that's in the book is stuff that I couldn't know. Some of it happens even before I was born, mm -hmm. before I was old enough to recognize what was going on. So she's recounting this mm. story. So a lot of her narrative is is me telling her story for her. Wow. And so she's given her moment. And one of the things I really wanted to do was to give her her flowers. Yeah. You know, a lot of times you know you don't give a chance to say you're thankful to people while they're living. But um, we we talk a lot about how the church exists, the Black church exists because of the gifts of Black women and the, the, the roles that Black women play in Black communities and in Black families. And unfortunately, because my father wasn't around, um, she played that role. And mm -hmm. she did, She and, and her life wasn't an easy one. And one of the things that, that, that she challenged me to, and this has had a tremendous impact on how I've navigated the present moment. Is, and, and I do not want to downplay anybody's trauma or the way that people kind of spiral when things happen to them. But I grew up in a context where I was face to face with a black woman who was enduring real difficulty. 
Mm -hmm. She didn't minimize it and just kind of, I'm not talking about that. She is saying, God is with me in the midst of my trauma. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I was then going through my own, my own struggles, um, that, that led me to say, oh, I need to turn to God. So in other words, I, I did what my mama taught me to do. When things got hard, I ran to the cross. That's right. And I had like a strong sense of self and a love for our culture and a love and respect for black women. And I knew, and this gets to like the fullest fall in love chapter. It's actually the last chapter that I actually wrote. It wasn't even in the initial manuscript. I just wow. added it to the book um, in the last minute. And it's because I had such a respect for the black women in my life and the black women that I know is that I understand how complicated interracial marriages are for black women in particular. Mm -hmm. And I, and I remember as a kid, a lot of this stuff deals with like how I felt as a child. I had, my dream as a kid was to marry a single black mom. That was actually my dream growing up because mm -hmm. I wanted to be like the dad that I never had. And I wanted to explain not to, yeah, I felt like I needed to be honest on my experiences in interracial marriage and how that's sometimes talked about in ways that aren't healthy. Like we're the hope for the church and justice in America. I don't believe that. That um, there's some kind of flaw or, or or something that black women lack that you can get somewhere else. I don't believe that either. But I just believe that sometimes people fall in love. And that um, when you are in a context where you meet someone who you feel like that's the person that God has for you, God has that person for you. And you can do that as something that is alongside of not in can, can competition with um, kind of black marriages. And I think that what people, one of the things I want to get to people that I don't think people really recognize is if you are someone, this is no one need to feel sorry for me, just like the truth. If you're someone who is racially conscious and you really care about your community, like you grow up seeing the black power culprit couple you, you you see the couple goals and that becomes like your ideal of what it means to like make it to the promised land and that, that, that i know that for some people my relationship will always be caused to be something of suspicion and so i wanted to make it clear that at least for me i didn't like have an interracial marriage because i wanted to gain some status in society that i didn't otherwise have that a black woman would hinder me from but i i it, it was more along the fact of for me, I, it, it meant that I was going to disappoint a community that I really, really deeply cared about. I wanted to explore that just because I feel like our lot, like the promised land in the Bible is that like it's not a direct path. And I feel like my whole life, I've not been able to live the narrative that other people set for me. And they're like, there's a certain thing that you have to do if you want to kind of achieve this kind of place in society and I've always followed what God was calling me to do in any given moment and when I met my wife I felt like this is the person that God has for me and um I wanted to be able to say that without denigrating or lessening the beauty of uh black women or even black marriages and I just felt like it was honest. I felt like someone needed to I feel like that's the conversation we need to have outside of the context of recrimination or outside of the context of either or, um, but possibly a both and. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the most uh, vulnerable and complicated and painful 
um, stories within the the Black American experience right now. Is how how do we make sense out of matters of the heart? Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and 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 what and what does that mean? And what do we assume about people? I think when I think about the book in general, and we talked a little bit about this in our very long time leading up to this interview because of our technological issues today. Um, but but we did spend some time talking about people's assumptions about other yeah. people. Like people will yeah. think that they know you. And I, yes. we do not know people that we don't know. I, I feel like that's yes. a, a, to be a very basic <laughs> expression. We do not but know I, people that we hear. Even listen, know we, we do not know people that we don't know. Like if you've never <laughs> actually met them, then it's yeah. probably limited in how much you know them. But even we were, we were saying uh, that people who might feel like they're just kind of meeting you in this moment as scholar, academic, church, uh, churchman, um, might think that they know your story and yeah. then they get this book and they're like, we don't know Esau. And, and hopefully yeah. they'll receive it in that sense. What yeah. What is one um, misconception, whether it's in your own mind or that you've heard about yourself, that you hope that this book helps to settle? Um, I don't, I think, I think that might be an interesting way of framing it. I, I don't know if I want to like settle a misconception I think I want to put my faith in context. Exactly. Well, I, I know you yeah. worry about what the people think. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess what I want to say is, like, I, th I think that there can be a an idea that it's easy for us. The people who come out of adulthood with a serious, deep, and abiding commitment to Jesus, who still believe that these things that happen in these texts are true, and they compel our allegiance. And there can be this perception that, oh, this 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 is, you know, you kind of had this this golden life. And that's the reason why you're able to say these things about God's goodness. And I want to say no. And the other thing that and this is probably the one that's like important to me. It's like and this may seem weird in so much as people care about what I say and the things that I write, who gets credit for it? Because sometimes people can say um, this is evangelicalism. And like, because I work in the evangelical institution, because the, you know, a variety of reasons, people say, oh, this is black evangelicalism. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm from the, I'm, I'm from Huntsville, Alabama, Northwest Huntsville. And there wasn't an evangelical within 20 miles of where I grew up. And when I was sick and when I was hurting, when I was poor, who was there to help me? It was black women and the black church. And so if you want to say, where do you go to find more of this? You take yourself down to Alabama you find yourself a, a, a black church that believes in the gospel, and there you'll find the, the soil out of which I grew. And it was more along the, and, and it was more along the lines of me saying, I want to put my work into context. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I want people to understand the vibrancy uh and and the complicated nature so we, we often find ourselves because of the work that we do involved in a lot of conversations and arguments that got nothing to do with our community right and i want to say nope mm -hmm. i grew up in the context it was like the nation of islam the That's black right. church and 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 black secularism that was my context <laughs> and that was a very small percentage it, yeah, you know what i mean like yeah <laughs> What I'm saying is, yeah, I'm saying like it was, the nation then. wasn't that big, mm -hmm. but like black Pentecostals, black Baptists, That's black, right. you know, and like I wanted people to to be immersed in my neighborhood. That's right. Be immersed in my community to understand because the other thing that people need to understand is that what you see as abnormal is really, really normal. Mm -hmm. I'm an ordinary black dude in Huntsville, right. Alabama. I might be right. weird for y'all. Y'all might never met anybody 
who believes all this stuff is true and God cares about the disinherited people of the world. But I can introduce you to a thousand of them who went to Union Hill Primitive Baptist Church. That's right. And so I wanted people to see it. And I promise you the hardest thing to do, and you all know this as writers, the hardest thing to do is to tell a black story that people will listen to outside of the context of a national controversy. Mm. So most of the yeah. time, people only buy our books and they only pay attention to our stuff right in the media, in the aftermath of, of, of an unjust death of a black person. And they buy our That's books right. and they pay attention to our That's story. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we often only get attention when we chase someone else's narrative and say, hey, me too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, even if nobody buys this book, our stories and our community and our culture matters. Mm -hmm. And if you give me the microphone or you give me the pen and you say, Esau, I want you to go be in the New York Times. Esau, I want you to publish something in Ping and Random House. I'm going to tell a story that makes sense in our context. So that the characters that you see feel like people that you grew up with. Even if you didn't have my exact context, they feel right. like the enfleshed characters from my community. And I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to put my story in that context. And I feel like I spend most of my time yanking my story from the um, liberal, conservative, white, well, conservative, endless mm -hmm. battle and that's putting right. that thing back into a black neighborhood. And mm -hmm. that's what I was trying to do and how far to the promised land. Mm. Yeah. Tried to do and did. And did. And did. You know, um, you saw, you know, I have a, a custom of reading an excerpt yeah. of the author's book. But you know what? Yeah. It's a new day. I'm switching okay. it up. Um, <laughs> I would actually, I would absolutely love, uh, we've talked so much about your book and I know our sisters at the table are like, and our brothers yeah. in the standing room section are like, let me hear a little something about this book. And so Issa, I would love for you to read yeah. um, a portion of the book that really resonates with you and then unpack it for us, please. Yeah. So <laughs> since we're talking about my mom, I'm going to play, undo a little audible. Okay. And I'm going to talk about um, my mom's faith. And okay. in the context of the story, she's just gotten um, a diagnosis that she has a brain tumor and she has to go to surgery. So this is a little bit mm -hmm. of what happens um, in this context. The doctor told my mother that the chances of her recovering her sight were not good and that she might die on the operating table. But the day before the procedure, my mom made no grand declarations of love in case things went poorly. She merely said, I have to go and have a surgery. Then I'll come back. Do not worry. God will take care of us. I believed her. Years later, when I was in college, she would tell me the story, the full story that day, confiding. I was much more afraid than I let on, but I couldn't afford to show it to you all. My mother lied to protect our feelings, much, I much like I had lied to protect hers years before. She remembered having a conversation with God before the nurses took her in. I was lying on that cold and uncomfortable bed in that hospital gown, waiting for them to come and get me. I had wires and stuff coming in and out of me. I was shaking a little with fear. I did what I always do when I'm scared. I talked to God. Lord, you know that I'm a crazy black woman. You said to these children are a blessing. I didn't say that. You said it. If you want me to leave, if you want to leave me here to take care of them, I'm okay with that. She told me. I heard from a, I heard from the Lord. I knew it was the Lord because he pronounced my name correctly. He called me the Lorianne. And he said, sorry, this is the King's English. So my mama, whenever God talks to my mama, it's in the King's English. <laughs> Lo, I will be with you. Lo now. Amen. 
Low. Low, I will be Lark. Who goes there? I'm like, a, he said, Low, I will be with you forever. And when I heal you, serve my children. Um, the surgery comes out okay. And she talks about how she couldn't move afterwards, but she 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 danced on the inside. Mm. And the the title of that chapter mm. is called Single Moms Aren't Allowed to Die. Yes. Um, and it's because she was all that we had. Mm. And because she was all, it was all that we were all that she had when she was in her most um, terrifying moment, she displayed a courage that she didn't even have in front mm. of us. She was strong for us. Mm. And then the way she spoke to God is the way she speaks to God. Like she talked to us, like, listen, you, you said That's these right. gifts was a blessing. That's right. And it was like that faith that I, that I talked about that carried her through. Mm. And one of the things that she talks about, um, she said, and when I heal you serve the children. And my mm. mom says that she thought that that was about us, the four of us. But actually when she gets out of um, the surgery, she ends up getting involved in my high school. So she starts volunteering mm -hmm. and she becomes wonderful. the president of the PTA. Mm -hmm. And then she becomes the president of the um, Alabama state PTA. Yes, come and on, then, she, then she gets elected as a member of the school board. The only single black woman ever elected to office Amazing. in the city of Huntsville. And she said she felt like she got her call from God mm -mm -mm. to serve the children mm. right before she went into surgery. Mm. And she did that. And this, and this is the thing, like because of the surgery, she, she we ended up being on government assistance because she couldn't work because of her tumor. We were making $19,000 a year. Mm. She was raising four kids on $19,000 a year on government assistance, working for the school board. And so when I talk about the heroic faith of mm -hmm. um, a black woman shaping how I see the world or shaping what it means for me to believe in God amidst the difficult circumstances, um, that's what I mean by it. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, um, you saw the story of your mom, the, the surgery, um, the way she received her call, because that's what let's call it what it is. Yeah, it's a call. calling, you know, and the way the Lord, you know, elevated her. Um, and yet. And she and still the oil didn't run out, right? Yeah. And it reminds me of um Second Kings chapter four, where the uh, the Shunammite woman, you know, who did not have yeah. a child, and Elisha's like, what, what can I do for her? What can I do for her? She doesn't have a son, you know. Yeah. And her, her husband, you know, an advancing agent, and he gave her a son, and then you know, and then you know the son died, you know, and she's like, Oh no, no, it, it is well. Like, yeah. you know, that's that when you were talking yeah. about, she's like, Oh, she didn't say no, I love you, or none of that. Because yeah. it's almost as if she yeah. just had she in her spirit. You know, yeah. she has set her like, face I'm gonna like, gonna come back. yeah, like, I'm going to come if, back. Yeah, I'm going to come back. Listen, let me tell y'all something. If, if if Esau go to a brain surgery, I'm getting it all out. I'm going to do a live. I'm like, if I don't see y'all no more. Love you, Mandy. Love you, Luke. Love you, Peter. Love you, Claire. Love you. Love y'all. I'm going to text all of y'all. Thank your truth table. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to get it all out. My mom was like, they finna cut on my brain. I will see y'all in a couple of hours. Ooh. Listen, I, what I'm saying is like, and we so crazy. Like, I look back on it. I'm like, yeah, my mom is going to get a brain cut open. We'll see her in a minute. And the right. other thing about it is, I'm sorry, I know for the, no. the readers probably want to read this part. I don't want to give it to them. Like, she was going blind at the time. Yes. And so she didn't even know that she was going to see again. They yeah. said the odds are you won't recover your sight. She had lost her sight in the leading up to the surgery because of the, the tumor um, pressing on where her vision was. So she was blind. Mm -mm. So this woman opened her eyes and, and could see a whole world. Thanks, Lord. 
And, and the, the important part, I guess I want to say about that, because that can seem like very, very miraculous. And in some senses, it was. Yeah. But we go on disability after that. Mm. So mama comes back to us. But we end up on that disability check of $19,000 a year, raising five people in Huntsville, Alabama, hand to mouth. Mm -hmm. um, I went back. It's interesting. I was just back in Huntsville. And I went back to the to that to that house. Mm -hmm. And as you go down the street where I come from, all of the all of the houses, they're all like you go to that part where my neighborhood is. Mm -hmm. It's all um, they have uh, bars on all the windows mm -hmm. to keep people out. And like the house is still just as what it was. You can wow. buy it. I won't say how much it costs now, but you can buy it for um, <laughs> not a lot of money. Wow. And so the fact that she raised us there um, showed that God obviously healed her, but God mm -hmm. didn't solve our problems. We were still in poverty. We're still, yeah. Mm -hmm. But God was with us even through all of that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, I think one of the most powerful lines is, I knew it was God because he knew how to pronounce my name. My name. Yeah. Now, and can I say that's amazing. So this this is the part that, um, I don't even know if it made it into the final part of the book. I may have cut it out. Um, but- <laughs> It's funny, like you write so many drafts, who knows? But what oh, happened yeah. was my mom, when she first went to integrated schools, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. they, they, there was another girl, there was a white girl that had her name that was similar. Mm. It was like Laurie and the other girl was Lori. And so the white teacher made my mom adopt the white kid's name. Mm -hmm. So my mom was called by out of her name the entire time she was mm -hmm. in school. Mm -hmm. and she And she got so used to like not knowing her real name she actually, she kind of lost it. And so she doesn't get her name back until she gets to middle school. And mm -hmm. a black, her first black teacher, mm -hmm. and the black teacher's going by and calling her Laurie Ann. And my mom corrects her, says, no, I'm called this. And a black teacher go, well, it says right here that this is your name. My mom mm -hmm. said, well, no, the white teacher told me in first grade I had to change it to match, you know, Susie or whatever. And the black, the black woman says to her, you don't let anybody take your name. That's right. The name that God gave you. And so when my mom says, um, I knew that it was God because he said my name correctly. That's right. It's the idea that in the South, this is crazy. They didn't even give black kids the dignity to have their own name. And the the the, the so when, when it says God has called me by name and God gave her a dignity that the that the that the white South didn't give to her, and she said, I'm gonna live because he's pronounced my name correctly, that was God healing a childhood wound from her. Absolutely. And it's just like it, it's profound it's profound my mama she gets mad at me because i pronounce her name wrong now you oh know why because i never call her by her name i'm a girl well, that's true i was like, yeah, I call her mama, I was like your mama. name is mama mom yeah, i called her mama and i it's funny like my 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 agent has the same name and now i call my mom by my age because i don't never use it i don't look she's been mama yeah, yeah. mama <laughs> I'm, i'll never forget when i was i thought I, when i was acting reckless because I, I was mm -hmm. i was away from home uh oh i was at college Right. And I was messing with her. So I just called her on the telephone and said, can I speak to Laurie Ann, please? And she just hung up on me. She waited. Listen, listen. This was in like the first week of school. She waited till Christmas break. It hit me upside the head. As soon as I got listen, she sat on it. Listen. She sat on, on that with it, That's right. Savored it. Calculated yeah, savored it. Planned I had forgot about it because I just walked in the house like, like don't what's you up? Ever. Don't you ever. Don't you ever. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you remembered in that. Then moment. I remember, I, like, and I said, you know, I said, you know what, you're right, because I thought I was funny, and it wasn't funny no more. <laughs> it wasn't no fun. What I, I got, I got to tell you, there's, there's a whole sermon in what you just shared, and just the beauty of that, that, that 
not only does God know us by name, but will call us by name, but will call us by the right name yes. in a way that it redeems us, uh, yeah. not only not Relatable only content. in soul, but also uh, in body. And so uh, I'm, I am so grateful for this contribution that you have decided to give to the people because we make a choice when we share our stories. There's a whole yeah, lot of my story that I probably will never put on paper. Yeah. So I, I'm always grateful for people when they make a decision to put their words on paper. It's a gift to people. And we need to, yeah. we need to be grateful. And I'm grateful for this work. Tell the people, Esau, doctor, how to yeah. get their hands on this book and how to yes. support your work. Listen, y'all, you can just go to any um, place where books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local black bookstore. Um, you can go anywhere and find it. And you can also find me if you look at EsauMcCauley.com, you can find my latest um, writings and things. I write about a, a column once a month for the New York Times. You can find me there. And I want to say thank you for your support. It means a lot. And I, I do, I do, I, I am passionate about the fact that our stories matter and the opportunities that we have to lift up the people who, um, who shape us and who make us who to who we are. And I hope that one of the reasons I told this, these stories is because they wouldn't let me go. Like there's mm. certain stories that kind of stick with you. They kind of um, circle around oh, in your yeah. imagination yeah. over mm -hmm. and over again. You can't help but reliving them. And they kind of, they, they're your anchors. Yeah. And I know that everybody can't grow up in my neighborhood and experience the things that I, that, that, that I experienced. But I hope that by meeting um, these characters, it shapes how you see the world. And it gives you this undying conviction that I have that these these people sometimes deserve better than what they received in life. Mm -hmm. um, and that they might get a dignity on the page that mm -hmm. they didn't get in the human experience. Amen. And the people who are currently in those places might have a chance for a better life, that they might find their way towards at least the, the temporal promised land. Because we know right. we're looking for a city whose building maker is God. A better city. Yes, That's yes, right. Yes, yes, Amen. Yes. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. I mean, we're so grateful for your your offering of how far to the promised land we know um, that it will be very relatable, you know, to um, our sisters at the table and our brothers in the standing room section. And if it's not, then it's like, it's good for us to learn other people's stories. <laughs> it's good for us to learn, you know, about other people's social locations and see the the convergence and divergence. So thank you for, for offering that up you know, to us here at this thank table. We're grateful me. for you. We come back anytime, brother. <laughs> I will for the, for the next one. They, for the next one, we know it's coming. So, Clearly. And, <laughs> Andy, and, Andy Johnson and the March for Justice. That's the next book. Hey. Think about that. Okay. Hey, come on. Come a, a, on kids, a kid's book. It's a kid's I book. Know. Right? It, 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 I know. I can tell. And there we go. That there way. we go. That's, that's exclusive. That's All exclusive. Right. A year there from now. Go. My publisher going to get mad at me. Why are you telling people about other books? That <laughs> okay. Never <laughs> mind about that one. Order How Far to the Promised Land. We do right. Andy Johnson in Order about 12 months. That's right. And we'll need that in 2024. Yes, we will. Hey, hey, hey. You ready? that's right well we want to thank y'all for taking a seat at the table with us this week let's keep the conversation going mm -hmm. share your thoughts with us on social media using the hashtag truth table black women we have a black women's facebook discipleship group so y'all can go on face on facebook like truth tables page 
Make sure you answer all of the entry questions. There's only about three or four of y'all um, to join our Facebook group. Uh, invite your homegirls and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Truth Table or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account so y'all can send your love offerings to patreon.com slash truthstable or you can bless us at our PayPal, which is paypal.me slash truthstable. Truth Table's audio producer is Joshua Heath. Our video producer is Daryl Bradford, and Truth Table's executive producers and hosts are Kemini Uwan and Christina Edmondson. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.